Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as our choir comes down, I want to remind you that this is the time of year we'll be coming to our special uh, services. We have our Thanksgiving Eve service, which is always the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We'll be meeting here, uh, no clubs that night, for just a time of sharing testimony, praises, and uh, singing, a lot of music. And then we'll have our Christmas Eve service, and of course our choir will be sharing their music for their, uh, their presentation during uh, December as well. And uh, so anyway, we have a lot of services. Great time to invite your friends, family members to come and join us uh, for a church service. You invite someone to come to church. Uh, you are the most important um, uh, person we have to invite someone to come and share this ministry together with us. If I were to ask you today, what in your life right now is most troubling to you? What is the most troubling thing in your life right now? We all have troubles, we all have challenges. For you right now, what is your greatest trouble? What is troubling you the most? What troubles you the most? We could say, what do you fear the most? What challenges you the most? I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14 as we continue our series for this week and for next week on the I am statements of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Gospels. And we are going to uh, finish this up next week, and then we actually will be getting toward the end of November, because the way the calendar is this year, December 1st is a Sunday, we'll begin our Advent series, uh, moving toward the Christmas season and the Advent of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, to earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We do not take lightly the opportunity, as has already been shared, that Pastor Gary has shared with us, that we have freedom to come and to just open your word, to talk about it, to share it, discuss it, uh, talk to our children and youth about it. And uh, Father, as we've already mentioned, uh, we have brothers and sisters around the world who do not share that freedom. And so we pray today that as we open your word, our hearts will be open to your word. And that we would hear your word, and your words would affect and change our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before I begin in John 14, Gary and I both had a task this morning. And it was my job to remind um, the Fidelians that your lunch is at 1 o'clock, not 4 o'clock. And I forgot and passed it on to Gary. And Gary forgot. So consider yourself reminded. Okay? (laughs) All right, John chapter 14, a passage that oftentimes I read quite often, almost always at memorial services, at graveside services that we share. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. This is the setting of, of course, the Last Supper. And we have been, last week, as Pastor Kevin shared about the raising of Lazarus, and we know as Jesus came down to Judea, we saw in Sunday school, at least in our class we did, that the Lord Jesus Christ, we said, let's go back to Judea. And his disciples said, Lord, no, they want to kill you there. 
And he insisted, no, we are going back to Judea. We are going back there. And Thomas steps up and says, well, let's just go and die with him. They knew how serious it was. Going back to Judea, going back to Jerusalem, heading back toward the Passover feast, uh, this time because of the threats against his life was a very dangerous situation, a very volatile situation. Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God. He has been claimed to be the Messiah. And as they are anticipating his role as Messiah and King of Israel, and, and many over hoping he would come to overthrow their enemies and, and establish the, the long sought and desired and promised kingdom. But they knew there was trouble ahead. And so they went to Jerusalem. Jesus would not say to them, don't be troubled if they weren't troubled. What was troubling them? Well, if you read the context, and remember, the chapter breaks are there for our benefit, but this one storyline is all the same setting. And for example, in chapter 13 and in verse 21, in this same context, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. And he testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? So in this, here they are in this dangerous situation. These are his 12 inner core. He has a, he's had a larger group of disciples. It's been whittled down, but there is a larger group of disciples. These are the 12 who have been the inner core. They have traveled with him. They've committed to him. They have served him. They have been with him through everything. And now Jesus says, somebody here, by the way, who is eating this Passover with me is going to betray me. He's going to betray us. He's going to betray me. And they were troubled. They said, who could it be? They all, who was it? How could it be that one of their own would betray him? Ask him. You're close to him. Ask him, John. Who's, who's gonna, who is going to betray him? They're troubled that this was even a possibility that one of these 12 disciples whom Jesus had promised, you will sit and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You will sit in the thrones. And he promised them this. And yet one of them is going to betray him. In verse 33, in the same context, Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And he's told them twice in this context, Children, friends, I'm leaving you. And you can't come with me. Leaving you? These are the men whom Jesus went and said, follow me. And what did they do? Huh? They left everything. Come on, some of you here own businesses and run businesses. These were, some of these men were businessmen. They were fishermen. It was a good business. It was a family business. There was a lot. They just left their businesses. And they followed Jesus. They left the tax table. They left their family. They left everything. They left everything to follow Jesus. 
And now he says, I am leaving you and you can't follow me. You can't come. So what? What do we do? Now what? You're just leaving. And they're troubled over this. What, what is going on here? What does he mean he's leaving us and we can't go with him? What do we do? And then in verse 36, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? He's already told them he's going to die, but no one has really grasped this yet. And Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. What does he mean? What am I supposed to do? And Peter asked him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I don't want you to leave. I'll do anything. I'll die for you. What do you mean you're going to leave? I'm coming with you. And Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me? And I'm assuming this is spoken in the group. It doesn't say they went aside. They're at the last Passover. And I think everybody heard this. Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the roaster... (laughs) Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Before this day is over, this night turns to dawn, Peter, you are going to disown me three times. Does that mean Peter's the one who's going to betray him? What is going on here? And these disciples in this upper room, with Jesus for this Passover, he's desired to have, they are troubled. Can you understand that, right? Can you appreciate how troubling this must have been for these men? That what is going on here? What is happening? What is, what is he talking about? And it's in that context, Jesus said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. What was it? What troubled them? You know what it was? It was the uncertainties that were causing this trouble in their lives. Where is he going? Why can't we go? Which one of us is going to betray him? Peter, are you really going to deny him three times? Why would you do that? What's going to happen that would cause you to deny him three times? What is going on? It was these uncertainties. And I asked you this morning, in our lives, if I, when I asked you earlier, What is it that troubles you the most right now? There's a good chance it's the uncertainties, right? What if? What if? Maybe not what you're experiencing right now, what you thought before would have really troubled you if it ever came to that. But it's the what ifs. What is going to happen? How are we going to deal with this? What if the worst case scenario actually comes to pass? What are we going to, what am I going to do? What is my family going to do? How will I deal with this? It's those uncertainties of life. And this is a clear example. There were so many uncertainties that were troubling them. And Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. Why? You trust in God. You can trust in me. Trust in God, trust also in me. Friends, everything has been building to this point. This is, the, this is the apex. Everything has been building to this point. And the gospel story is Jesus prepares to go to the cross 
at Calvary. And these men just didn't understand and they were troubled. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And in fact, this section here begins with this. And also in verse 27, as we come toward the end of this, he says it again, peace I leave with you, my peace I leave you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And he says it again, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be troubled and don't be afraid. Why? Well, Jesus talks to them about their hope. And he says this, and this is a very well-known passage. It's read oftentimes at services for graveside and funerals. I read it from this pulpit almost always because there's, there's an appropriateness of it here. And we'll talk about this. And Jesus said this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. This is where I'm going. I'm leaving you. And here's where I'm going. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Don't, don't be troubled. Don't be worried about this. Uh, yes, I am going. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going there and, and I'm going to come back. In my Father's house. Now we, we read earlier in, in the earlier translations it says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. So we have a song I grew up singing. We don't sing too much anymore. I've got a mansion over the hilltop, right? <laughs> I've got a mansion over the hilltop. I, well, here's the thing. In, when, the, when the English Bible was first translated, when the early was translated uh, into English, the word mansion that was used in the earliest English, even prior to King James, the earliest translations, the word mansion back then did not mean what we're thinking of today. Wow, that person lives in a mansion, right? If I said that, you've got these big pictures. But in the early English, that word simply meant a dwelling place. It never really, it was never really intended to mean, boy, I can hardly wait to heaven because I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a house as big as this, okay, a mansion. No, it's just, that's why it's the, the newer translations in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. And I'm going there to prepare, in fact, it meant maybe a resting place. I'm going there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back. I have plans for you. Why shouldn't they be afraid? You know, going clear back from beginning to end in the Bible, when we go back to the book of, let me just read to you from Deuteronomy, as they prepare, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. The Israelites are standing on the verge of going into the promised land. And Moses re recounts for them their story before he dies. And he says in verse 29, Then I said to you, do not be afraid. Do not be terrified of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. Don't be afraid. And this rings throughout the books of, of Joshua as well. 
Don't be afraid. God says, I, Moses says, listen, the Lord went before you. He went in front of you, not behind you. You followed him. Talk about uncertainties. This huge population of slaves leaving Egypt and having to go to the promised land. God says, I'm going to go before you. And when you get to that promised land where, where you're going to face enemies that are, that are really fearsome, and cities like Jericho, you can't possibly get past. It's okay. I'm going before you. God was going before. He always has. He goes before his people. Many of you know the verse from Jeremiah. Many of you have memorized this. Jeremiah 29.11. The prophet Jeremiah says, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen? God has plans for his people. And listen, throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, heaven and eternity is part of the plan. We see this from the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. Where in the midst of all this confusion and terrible things, Job says, I know my Redeemer. and I know he lives and I know I will stand before him. There's this hope for the future. King David says about his baby that has died, um, uh, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. And throughout the Old Testament, there's these glimpses of, of future and hope to the point that in Jesus' day and in Paul's day and in James' day and Peter's day, the Jews had a very definite belief in the resurrection. Sadducees didn't buy it, but the Pharisees did, and the majority of Judaism always has bought it, that there is a resurrection, there is hope for the future. And the New Testament opens up and have all much more about that. Heaven, hope, eternal life, future. Now, throughout history, there are differences. I'm going to stop right here and just say, you're welcome to come tonight because um, I, I'm not gonna, I can't go into a lot more detail about some possibilities here because you're already an hour off today, right? You're already thinking it's past lunchtime, okay? And you're right, it is. So we're going to end on time. But throughout history, in the ages, the dispensations, the eras, as God's salvation plan is progressively unfolded and revealed, there are different promises to different peoples. I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to leave this for tonight. Tonight, for our Sunday night Bible study, for those of you that come, we're going to take a few weeks between now and the next series we start to go a little deeper into some things we cover Sunday morning. Let me ask you a couple of questions. If you can't come, just think about this. Jesus said to his, these men, I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place, and I'm coming back. Look at verse 4. I am coming back, and I'm going to take you with me. I ask you a question. In their context, after the things that have been promised to them, when they said, Lord, we've left everything for you, what is it? And Jesus says, you will gain much more in this life and in the life to come. I am telling you, you are going to sit and judge the 12 thrones of Israel. I mean, that is a huge promise. From their context, what do you think this means? I am going and I'm coming back. And I ask you a second question. Did he ever? Did he ever come back for them? Did he come back? Well, what is this house? 
What is this house with the rooms? Okay, I'm going to leave it there. And for these who come tonight, we're going to discuss that. Okay? Let me go on, though. What is their hope? Friends, heaven, we've sung about this morning. And the reason I use this passage, even though it's, there's some particularities as well here, this is part of that big picture that, that God, does, God has prepared a place for us. We have, we have a hope in heaven, a definite hope. When we read in, in, in the Bible, in Romans 8, at the end of Romans 8, nothing can separate us. Paul says, what, what can separate us from the, love of, from the love of God? Not just the presence of God, but the love, the agape. What is it that could separate you and me from the love of God? Paul says, could trouble, could tribulation, can distress not having enough clothes, not having enough food. And finally says, death nor life, angels nor principalities, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Friends, God loves you as much today as he is ever going to love you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he loves you right now. And nothing can ever separate. If you know Christ as Savior and you're a part of his family, nothing can ever separate you. Not even death itself can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We have a hope. And so he says, he says to them, verse 4, you know where I'm going. He's kind of, I don't know, baiting them a little bit. He says, you, you know where I'm going. Thomas speaks up. Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? No, we don't know where you, Where are you going? And why can't we come? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Wow. That statement is a bit exclusive. Isn't it? I mean, either Jesus said it or he didn't say it. We didn't write it. We're not responsible for <laughs> Jesus Christ said this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an exclusivity that we don't have the right to compromise. I don't have the right to soften that or to say, well, yeah, but it really does No, that is what it says. And in fact, we see this throughout the New Testament. Yes, it's a point of contention today. Yes, it sounds kind of narrow, doesn't it? Yes, it sounds sort of exclusive. Except the offer is to everybody. It would be exclusive if it just said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and only this group of people have the right to come through me, but for God so loved the what? World. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humanity by which they must be saved. Sounds a bit exclusive. 
but it's the only way. The early Qumran community out there by the Dead Sea, for those of us who have been there, we visited that site where the Qumran area was. They were known for talking about the way. Their sect of Judaism were called those who have chosen the way. John the Baptist came and fulfilled the promise. I have come, what? To make straight the way of the Lord. The road, the way. What if there were no way? What if God never provided a way and left us to ourselves and went and started somewhere else, which he had every right to do? But because God chose to love us and chose to love me and chose to love you, he made a way. These disciples, just they can't grasp it yet. How could they possibly grasp what is about to happen in the next 24 hours? They're troubled. And he reminds them. And he tells them, we haven't got time to go through all this, but this is also the passage where you'll read in here that Jesus tells them in verse 15, if you, if you love me, you will obey what I command. I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. And we know that's the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. It's, I, it's a word that, that means to come and stand alongside. It's a, it's, a, it's a term used in court of someone to come and stand alongside and represent you. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He says, I'm not going to orphan you. I'm gonna, we are going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he will explain these things to you. You can't understand it now, but he will explain these things to you. You have to have faith and you have to have trust. I am the way. I am the truth. And friends, as Christians, as people of the book, if you will, we teach and we, don't, we cannot compromise this. We don't have that right. It is essential that we teach that truth is outside of us. It is objective truth, meaning that it is not relative to what you think and I think. It comes down to what God thinks, what God has decided. Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the truth. He told the Pharisees and scribes, you search the scriptures because you think in doing so you will find eternal life. But those words are they which speak of me, even in the Old Testament. We believe in truth. We believe in standards. We believe in values that are outside of us that, that God has revealed to us. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And finally, I am the life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in verse 8, Philip says, Lord, please, show us the Father. Show, show us the Father. This, okay, this is this is confusing. We Just show us the Father. If what you're saying that you and the Father are, show us the Father. That will be enough. Wouldn't that be good? If you had a glimpse of God today, would that be enough? Would that take you at least for this week? Huh? 
if we could just all of a sudden break in and actually see heaven and see the Father, Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus said, in a gentle rebuke, don't you know me, Philip? Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These are not just my words. And friends, we have here in the midst of this passage, one of the most clear and definitive affirmations of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is fully God. Could could you possibly expect these men to grasp this? You wouldn't have. But he says the helper is coming. You, You will get it. Moses asked to see God. And God says, no, you can't, you can't see me. I'm going to cover you. I'll cover you and I'll pass by. You can't, you can't see me. You can see the backside, but you can't see me. Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, right? You're looking at him. We are one. We are one. And it leads to that, you know, the affirmation of the Nicene Creed, as we as Christians teach. I don't know if you can see the print or not. Part of the Nicene, Nicene Creed that helped put this in the language after struggling, how do you say this? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally, they, they struggle, they, how do we say this without making Him less than God? Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. That's Christ. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. And it puts in the words this truth that's beginning to develop here. He really is fully God. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not let it be afraid. I'm going to come back for you. Yes, there's uncertainties, but I'll come back. And I will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will help you. And I close with this. I just love this passage. and I, This is why it's so appropriate. Listen, I, several of us this past week have had a chance to visit Larry and Judy. Somebody shared in Fidelity class today, what a blessing. And I, and I know it's a, I visited them and others here visited. And uh, Larry, our dear brother Larry, who's been part, an important part of my life in this church family since we started. I consider him a good friend. And he is on hospice care. And, he, and there's nothing else they can really do. And to visit with them, and to see the, the peace and the assurance. Yes, it's uncertain. Yes, it's hard. Man, it's hard. But to see that peace and assurance. We worry about what, what, what's, what, will, we, what will it be like? I'll tell you what it will be like. Because as a pastor, I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. This is what it's like. 
in verse 27. Shalom. Shalom. Peace. I leave with you. Jesus says to his disciples who are still troubled, My peace I give to you. It's a gift. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Friends, that is a powerful verse. Powerful verse. Peace I'm giving you. I'm leaving. You can't come. I'm coming back. I'll give you the helper. But I'm going to give you peace. And it's like no peace that the world could possibly drum up. It is peace from God. It's a gift. And in Romans 5, chapter 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. I am at peace with God. And my sinfulness and your sinfulness and your imperfections and my imperfections, I'm at peace with God. And I will be for all eternity because of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. I'll betray, uh, some of you know, it's okay, that, uh, well, I'm a Bob Dylan fan. Okay? I said it. <laughs> I, loved, I loved the cover of the album from his release the last couple of years from his, he did of his gospel songs he did some years ago. And, and, and trouble no more. Trouble no more. Trouble no more. Friends, God offers us peace and trouble no more. And the uncertainties that we have to continue to live with as part of our humanity and our human condition are kept and guarded by God because He has gone before. Peace. I leave with you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not our hearts be troubled. Let's close our service with our final song. Thank you so much for the music, the worship music today that you have shared with us because the purpose of this worship music is to draw our hearts and our thoughts and minds to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please stand one more time? As we sing together, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Amen. Amen? Amen. I really believe, i got to keep reminding myself, just like you, but I really do believe that God is so great. He already knows how everything in my life is going to work out. It's the sovereignty of God. He already knows. He already knows. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to know too. <laughs> but he already knows. At this scene at the Last Supper, these wonderful words of encouragement and hope and hours, this beautiful 
human God, Jesus Christ, is going to be a dead corpse in a tomb. A dead corpse in a tomb. But we read this story through Resurrection Sunday, don't we? They didn't at that point, but they did eventually. We read it through Resurrection Sunday. Because he rose from the dead, conquered the grave and death. And it's because of that he offers to you and he's offered to me salvation and forgiveness for sins. If you're here today, and I know that from our end of it, it, there's got to be something we can do, right? To make God love us. God's already chosen to love you. And he did what we could never do. The pure, holy sacrifice that could pay for sin went to the cross, suffered my guilt for sin, took my punishment, died, went into the grave, and rose from the dead. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that way is open to you today through simple acknowledgement of your need for salvation and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not a person here today who knows Christ as Savior. Let me see your hands. You know Christ as Savior today? Let me see your hands. Every one of you, it's through simple faith that you receive that gift. And if that's not you today, you can too. This is Resurrection Sunday. First day of the week. When we gather on this day to remind ourselves He is not a dead corpse in a tomb. He is risen indeed. He has gone before. He has prepared a place. And He has not left us as orphans. So for closing today, let's, let's say this together, this portion, once again, of this Nicene Creed. Can you say this with me? Say it with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him, all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit and became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. Hallelujah. Amen.